HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues. Whoa, coming to you funky. Coming to <laughs> you funky. What was that, Jack? Oh, that's funny. We should play that what real is that? quick. Let me say it's that. like two seconds long. Oh, let's do it. oh yeah. Cheese. Cheese. It says cheese. Oh, cheese. Cooking yeah. Issues. Is that like a new theme song for us? It's for, it's for cutting the curd. Let me hear that one more time. <laughs> we'll bring up the Come on. Uh, come on. Sounds like it could have been a Bluto song, maybe. Cheese. Yeah, that's old style Bluto stuff. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, sweet. Uh, we're joined as uh, usual, Jack and uh, Nastasha the Hammer. However, do we still have a caller on the air? Yeah, I do have a caller. Why don't we, why don't we do the show with a caller? How about yeah, why don't that? we do that and then we'll get back to our little uh, niceties and pleasantries and what that. Caller, right. you are on the air. Hi, Dave. How are you? All right. How you doing? Good. Thanks. Hey, I was wondering um, how well something like a, a champion juicer would do for making uh, like pistachio paste and kind of nut butters, and uh, if it works for kind of making desserts first or something like that. Well, as it so happens, Nastasia and I have a lot of experience using the Champion Juicer for exactly that task. Uh, So the first thing you did, do you own one already? Sorry? Do you already own a Champion Juicer? No, I'm I'm thinking about getting one, and that would kind of be the... The, a, a kind of tipping point that would make me go out and get one. Yeah, it works well. Here's the deal. It heats it up. So if you're one of these believers that everything has to stay hyper-cold as you're doing it, that ain't going to happen because there's a lot of friction generated in, inside of the champion. But, uh, okay. But, Stas, how many, how many, like, 
how many zillion pounds of nuts have we put through Champion Juicers before? So many. I think we had an event, right, for one? And we, well, like a huge amount of people. We went through that, that kick where I was doing all nut milks in the centrifuge, and I was making nut butters uh, and spinning and making nut oils. Remember that? Yeah. And we were just making, like, we would have to make, like, like a gallon of, of, uh, of, uh, of like, uh, uh, what was it, cashew? No, pecan oil. Then we, mm-hmm. we would go through all those tins of pecans from... Uh, those yeah. nuts oh my god so, so the, the short story is it works um, right you might need to add uh, you, like you might need to grind it a couple of times what we used to do is we used to we used to put it through the champion for the first pass and then we would put it into a uh, into a stone grinder to get it down like hyper fine like commercial peanut butter fine um, but yeah sucker works it also grinds cocoa nibs quite well for the oh, okay. for the initial grind you're going to need to put it into, like, a stone mill to get it down to actual chocolate grind stuff. Uh, the one uh, thing that uh, you got to watch out for is after you grind the second five pounds in a row without stopping, the, um, it, it heats up rather severely, and the Champion Juicer will heat itself up to the point where it melts the, uh, it melts the safety interlocks and that the motor is hot enough to boil water. So... I mean, oh, uh, wow. yeah, you should give at least the ones that I've used. So you should give it a rest before it asks for it, because it's not going to ask for a rest. It's just going to keep on going until, until I don't know, until a fire starts. Them. You ever have one of those things actually kick out on you? I don't know that it has a thermal style. Remember that time that we put all the towels in the water and put it on the back, and it was like a sauna because mm-hmm. it was, like, boiling the water off of the towels? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, is that uh, every professional chef who buys a champion juicer, and there are many, uh, instantly loses the blind plate. So the bottom of the champion juicer either has a mesh screen that you use for juices or a blind plate that you're supposed to use for things like frozen bananas, if you're a believer in that sort of thing, or nuts. And so you don't want to lose that. But, uh, yeah, it works. Oh, I think we might have lost him. I heard yep. a click clack. Anyways, yep. he heard most of what was important anyway, right? He got it. He he got it. He's got that. Anyway, so uh, now for the intro and pleasantry. So later than normal, had a flat tire today. Flat tire on the Williamsburg Bridge, which I love. Going up, but here's, it was kind of a miracle. Like the, my bike wanted me to be late, but it didn't want me to be too late because I no longer carry with me the stuff to fix flat tires. I should just start carrying that. The patch is so small. It's just, I don't know, somehow, like, I started swatching bags back and forth, and so then I, I just don't have the bike repair kit with me anymore. But I do have a pump on me, thank Christ. Thank God, I mean. I mean, thank goodness. Uh, bleep, 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 bleep. Uh, so I'm going up to Williamsburg, right? But it's still too late to turn back, because you know you can't get a taxi in my neighborhood, like, anywhere near as noon. So I hear... <laughs> you know that noise? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, crap. So... I look down, sure enough, my front tire's going, and, uh, but some miracle, it stopped deflating before I was down on the rim, so I was like, what am I going to do? So I just pumped it up to like two-thirds of its rated pressure, and I slowly leaked all the way here. I made it all the way here with a slow leak. I even passed some dingleberry on a freaking like mini moped thing. Styles wants to beat it. So for those of you that live in New York City... Like, there's these dudes riding around these... Uh, it's almost always dudes, right? It's only delivery people, which are mostly... Mostly dudes, mm-hmm. yeah. And they're on these damned electric bikes, and it's like... They're not electric, though. It's just like an attachment, right? The, the, well, they, they... Like, someone somewhere designed... They took a normal bike, that, a crappy normal bike, and they bolted a battery pack and, like, a little motor to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they mean, like, they're... 
they're designed to be that way okay. ish but every delivery you've seen these jack right i have yeah what are your thoughts on them? i don't really i don't know he's they're like, like cars he's, he's like <laughs> jack, jack's like i own one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no we all know that jack doesn't drive bikes because he drives cars that's they, right as we all know they're mutually exclusive Captain Sustainability, Jack Inslee over there. That's me. Yeah. Uh, by the way, when we come out of commercial break, we should hear the uh, cheese song again. Cause it's you awesome. like that, huh? Did you write the cheese song? I didn't, no. Who wrote the cheese song? Uh, I'll find out, but Diane Stemple is the uh, the host who, who brought us that song. I think it was a friend of hers. Cheese. I do have a caller whenever we're Oh, on. yeah, caller. You're on the air. Hey, how's it going? Oh, Dave, right. Nastasha, and Jack. Nice. Love you guys' music. The best always, man. Nice. Especially now that we have a cheese song. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to hear that one today, but. Right, well, in the reruns. Anyways, it's uh, Antoine from Boca Raton just calling back. Oh, hey, how you doing? Week. We were talking about, we were talking yeah. about health and bartending. Exactly, yes. yeah. And how they may or may um, not be related or mutually exclusive. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I had a few questions this week. Um, one of them was your thoughts and comments about this uh, potential ban on raw milk cheeses. What do you, what do you mean? I mean, uh, oh, uh, they, are they trying to ban uh, even older than 60 days? Yeah. Oh, that's... They're, uh, I was... Yeah, I got it through the pipeline. My, my girlfriend works at Whole Foods for the uh, specialty department, and they were saying recently that, that they want to ban all raw milk cheeses even over 60 days. Yeah, I saw some, like, uh, blips and bleeps about that a couple of months ago on one of the cheese blogs. Like, it was, like, pushed to my Twitter account. Somebody was like, I don't make cheese. And then I haven't heard anything about it since. Jack, have you guys talked about this at all in any of the cheese programs we have? I will I will shoot them a line and ask. I mean, what? I mean, if anyone were to actually push something through like that, I mean, I think that's, a, that's absolutely preposterous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's an absurdity. I mean, what, do you know what the proposed reason for it is? I mean, as as far as I've heard, I mean, it's it's been a huge game of telephone for me because one person heard from another person. But as far as I know, they want to ban any cheeses that are raw milk cheeses. So your Gruyere's, Roquefort, Parmesan, Parmigiano Reggiano. That's that? Parmigiano Reggiano's made with raw milk, is it not? It is, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's preposterous. I mean, uh, the current regulation I think is even uh, too obviously too stringent. Um, I did hear some rumblings about it, but I don't know. I mean, if someone's proposing it, it's an absolute absurdity. I mean, my feeling was from the get-go, and, you know, I, I spoke years ago to some uh, food safety people about it. I mean, you got to remember, the way food safety – in other words, I don't think this is a food safety concern. I mean, I don't know when the last time somebody got poisoned from Parmigiano-Reggiano is. Oh, wait, I know when it was. It was never because it's never happened. But the, um, the issue is, is that uh, food safety people – write laws because, um, for instance, you're allowed to have sushi, even though it goes through procedures, you're allowed to have steak tartare or rare steak because the assumption is is that when you order that, you know the risks that you're taking on. And the raw milk stuff with cheeses is because the, they, you know, uh, they, they figure that the average consumer wants everything to be as safe as like a hyper-pasteurized like American cheese product is, right? And that, and that the customers don't know that they might be assuming a, 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 a risk of pathogens that they don't, they're not aware of if they consume a raw milk cheese that's young. That's their theory anyway. And so my feeling was, like, put a label on it. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to smoke, you know, so, like, why can't I have a, a raw milk cheese as long as it says on it, like, 
like like raw milk may kill you. The same way that like you know when you serve someone a raw egg at a restaurant, you say this is a raw egg. This might kill you, and if that scares you, please order something else. You know. Uh, I mean, I always thought that was a better kind of a. I mean, like I think people would buy it more if it had a big parental advisory "Do not eat will kill you" label on it. I mean, think of how much more of that they'd sell. You know. It's like, totally. You know. Uh, so. Yeah, so I'll look into it because uh, I remember I heard some rumblings and then I it totally fell. But Jack, are you gonna are you gonna write a note to yourself to follow up with this? I'm writing a note to myself to come up with the parental advisory food line because I think that'll <laughs> that'll really work out <laughs> for cheese. This yeah. cheese may kill your children. I mean, it works for music, right? Yeah, I mean, it sells a lot of music, right? Oh, yeah, I mean. I mean, look, I mean, a lot of that early stuff would have sold without the label because it was, like, so, so over the top, you know, like NWA and stuff. I mean, that stuff was so over the top that, you know, it didn't really require a label for kids to know. You know, Tipper Gore didn't need to come out and tell me that that stuff was kind of, like, a little bit over the top. But, uh, you know, some of this stuff, the milder stuff with the parental guidance, you know, you go to the store and you're like, which one of these things is going to piss my parents off the most? And you just search out for the labels. It could be the same thing with cheese, you know? Same thing with, like, the hot peppers. You heard about this Trinidad scorpion pepper that's, like, like one and a half times hotter than the Nagajoloki pepper? What's the point of that? Does anyone know what the point is? Are you a hot pepper eater? Anyone? I love all... Anything that makes me hurt, I love the most. Have, have you tried the Trinidad scorpion? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, so, like, it's, there's a whole, like... You know, what, you know what I'm talking about, though? It's, like, a vicious, evil-looking little pepper... Paul Adams from Proper Science has some, but he had some dry. But, like, have you tried the ghost pepper? As far as I can discern, the ghost pepper has no good taste to it. It's not like a habanero. Well, if you use it, like, like a little bit of it in a big pot of something, I think that's how it works best. Because I love Sri Lankan food, and apparently they use ghost peppers. Yeah, but why not just use more of a pepper with more flavor? By the way, two dudes sitting at the table outside of the studio here pounding shots. Just really? Like, Shots away, dude. Like, That's awesome. Like, uh, well, it's, it's you know, it's five p.m. somewhere. These guys are you know banging these things back like they're in Europe. It's like they got transported from Europe. Maybe they are European. It is August. Yeah, and they probably like we're being <laughs> we're being overrun with Europeans with excess money in their pockets. Please come here and burn your money in New York City and add to our tourism business. We need it. Am I right, Jack? Yes. Yeah. Uh, any other things? Because I got to look that one up. Yeah. Uh, I also I sent you a tweet uh, last week that. I uh, have issues with drinking coffee. I love the taste of it, but uh, I didn't know what it was. I, I isolated by having just caffeine by itself. Yeah, I told I, I, t- that. I told you to have the no-dose, right? Yeah, I, uh, I can handle that, so I don't know. I can usually handle high-acid things. But I don't know what it is in coffee that might be getting at me. And you, and you tried decaf coffee, and decaf coffee does it to you as well, right? I haven't tried decaf coffee because I never saw the point. Yeah, well, no, but you try it just as a test, the same way that there's not that much of a point in no-dose because, I mean, that gives me a spinning headache. But, like, what you, here's what you do. You try, the, you try the decaffeinated coffee. So then, so if decaffeinated coffee is fine and caffeinated coffee is not, then, it, you know, it, could, it has to be, it's not the caffeine because you've tested that, so it's something else that's washed away in the process. And so then you would have to test to see whether or not Supercritical CO2 decaffeinated coffee works, but the water decaffeinated coffee doesn't. You have to do some tests. Now, if decaf, um, my sus- suspicion is, is that decaf coffee will do it to you the same way that uh, caffeinated coffee uh, will. You said it's a stomach ache, right? And this is regular. Yeah. This is regular coffee, not espresso, right? Uh, I've done both. Right. So when you say stomach ache, do you mean you need to go to the bathroom really quickly, like it gets your motor running, or do you mean just like a stomach ache? No, no. I mean it does both. It, but. The, going to the bathroom is fine. That's, that's a desired effect. That's but, why. Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I drink the coffee in the morning. Yes, but go ahead. 
but no, I get a, an actual like stomach aching afterwards. Like usually three or four years afterwards. Three or four what? Like three to four hours afterwards. Okay, I thought you said years. I was like, what? Uh, the uh, I mean, that's that's a long memory. Like I had a cup of coffee three years ago, <laughs> and man, my stomach hurts now. That's some serious post hoc ergo propter hoc right there. Um, but the. Uh, well, so the thing is, is there's a lot of stuff in coffee, and maybe one of the maybe it's not the actual pH. Maybe it's one of the, um, you know, maybe one of the particular organic acids in the coffee, like like upsets you somehow. Could, you know, it could could be something other than just because your stomach's acid enough as it is. You know, so it. I, I don't know. I'll look into. Um, I'll look into. Um, Jack, write this down. Jack, can you keep a list and then send me like the day before? I can look up yeah, some exactly. of that. Yeah, I'm actually going to do this. All right, cool. Um, I'll try to look up because uh, I have like a bunch of books on this subject on coffee about uh, things in it that might cause uh, stomach aches. You know, I'll look up uh, Andrea Illy's book, The um, Espresso: The Chemistry of Quality, and look up the list and see whether there's anything I, I can find and peruse the scientific literature. But you've done the first step, which is uh, you've tested uh, no dose. And I hate that stuff. Did you did you used to take the? Did you ever take that stuff in college, Stas? The no does. I you know. I, Is that like five hour energy shot? Same kind of thing. Well, it gets around the middle middleman. It's just straight caffeine or pill. You know oh, what I mean, okay. it's yeah. like you know, it doesn't have any of this like fake like you know. Oh, it's gonna blah blah blah. It's yeah. just like here's caffeine to freaking like slam your system open. But I used to just pound 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 Mountain Dews. That's what I would do. Diet Dew. I would just pound Mountain you know Diet Mountain Dew because I used to pull all nighters like one at least once a week. You know what I mean? At least, because I didn't do any work until it was too late. You know what I mean? Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, so I'm going to try, I'll look into it, and next week uh, we'll try to get back. Jack's going to send me this stuff, but try that decaf thing and see whether or not that hooks you up, all right? Yeah, for sure. And then um, next week, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, not next week, next month, I'm going to try to go to uh, WD-50, because I just heard the recent bad news that they're closing, so... Well, again, so something ends, something new will begin. Although I don't think he's planned it yet exactly what he's going to do. But, I mean, I wouldn't expect uh, I wouldn't expect him to be down to one restaurant for too long. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But I'm definitely going to try to head there. I don't know how hard it is to get a reservation. I don't know. I haven't looked, but I bet hard. I'm going to go once again before it closes, but I bet you it ain't so easy. Yeah. You know. so I'm going to try to do that pretty hard, and then I'm definitely going to check out the newest, coolest, Great bar, Booker and Dax. Yeah, sweet. Well, let us know. Let us know before you before you go. And if I'm not, around, hopefully I'm around. If not, uh, tell us how it was. Sure will. Thank you very much. All right, have a good one, uh, Jack. You want to take our quick uh, commercial and come back and blast through the rest of cooking issues? Uh, that sounds like a plan. All right, brother. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will, too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Wow. You like that med- meditation music? Cheese. See, I'm much more on the Give Me Other Cheese song in contradistinction to uh, Steve Jenkins' cheese song. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, Nastasia, this will yeah. bother you. You know the guy's name that made that song on the break? No. Jerome LOL. 
Like God. like laughing out loud? Correct. Oh, you also got a gift. I did? Yeah. What yeah, is Dave it? Dave got a gift. Got a love gift. Oh, it is? All right, well, we'll look at it in a, in a minute. Let me let me blast through some questions, because we never got any questions. Stas is going to unpack this, which he didn't already do, so I don't know what well, it is. Well, addressed to you. Oh, because you have so much problem opening my packages Oops, normally. Stas opens letters much no, like my like, much like my son does by just like flapping it open to see whether money you falls out. That's how she that. always. <laughs> you taught me that. Yeah, I learned it from watching you. <laughs> okay, uh, seriously, let's get some questions. So uh, I had a question in that says, "Hello, uh, I think Dave missed my question uh, because apparently, like, I got it in a, this in a Twitter format. This is from uh, uh, Rodney Guthman, and uh, he's like, he started." He's like he started like off on a tangent and forgot my question, so we're not going to do any tangents. So don't talk to me about this the, this gift until I finish this. Anyway, uh, the question we read last week was: Is it possible to uh, buy cream and then dump water into it to make milk at home so as to save on weight and stuff like this? An- answer: No. For two reasons. Here are the two reasons why. And also, did I answer the? I won't go off on this tangent, but did I answer the uh, beer ice cream question a while ago, or did I also tangent and fly off on that? We'll do that real quick too. Okay. So here's why. So uh, when you have yourself some uh, some whole milk, when I say whole milk, I don't mean whole milk like in a in a store. I mean like you get your milk out of a cow, right? What you have is is you have a a a water phase with uh, fat droplets in it, right? When you let it sit, the fat droplets rise to the top, and you have your your cream enriched stuff at the top, and you have your milk at the bottom. However, the water phase is relatively similar throughout, right? You with me here, Stas? Water phase relatively similar throughout. She's not paying attention. She's looking at the gift, which is good because she has to describe it to me in a minute. Uh, so, anywho, the here's what happens: when you're taking cream and then you water it down with water, you're watering it down with water, and you're not watering it down with uh, milk proteins and all of that other uh, good stuff, whey proteins, all this other great nonsense, right? Uh, and everything else that's in the, in the water phase of the milk. Like you could water cream down with skim milk, but then that 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 misses the point because you haven't gotten – I mean then you have to still carry the, uh, the the skim milk home with you. So you're not saving anything. You could water it down with powdered skim milk and that would save you some weight. But you're going to have that like off flavor that comes from powdered skim milk. Powdered skim milk, believe it or not, tastes even – have you ever tasted it? No. Tastes even worse. I thought you were the one that like, we didn't have a TV. We had to glue powdered together two milk. automobiles. What? Powdered – no. Anyway, skim milk is uh, powdered skim milk. It's good as a as an ingredient in things like uh, like English muffins, but not so much to drink. Uh, Jack, you ever had the powdered skim milk? No way. It's nasty. It sounds and, horrible. Yeah, I mean, look, it's something you drink because you can't necessarily afford to have like real milk around, or like you know, it's before Parmalat came out and you have it in your cupboard for eight thousand years or whatever. Anywho, uh, so you could do something like that, but again, that that stuff's nasty. Here's the second reason why you shouldn't do it. Ninety nine. of the cream that you purchase in a supermarket has been ultra-high temperature pasteurized. And the reason for this is is cream doesn't sell nearly as quickly as milk sells, and cream doesn't get used nearly as quickly as milk does even once it gets home. And so they assume, they meaning the dairy weasels, assume that the cream is going to be on the shelf for a long, long time, and so it has a much longer window of shelf life that's required for it. And so they pasteurize it to a much higher temperature for, for a higher time so that they can assure that they kill enough of the stuff in there such that it lasts a lot longer, but that makes more of a cook taste. And if you can ever go find yourself some 
mean you know, raw, forget it. But if you can ever go find yourself some regular pasteurized even cream as opposed and do a side-by-side of that with ultra-high pasteurized uh, cream, like it is a world of freaking difference, like almost as much difference as there is between, let's say, regular milk and Parmalat. Although, you know, a bunch of Europeans like that box milk. You ever hang out with the... The Swiss Swiss weasels that you hang out with, the box milk, yeah. but they like it over there, right? Some people actually enjoy that crap. What's with the weasels today? I don't know. Weasels, they're like ferrets, you know. Like uh, you know, remember Giuliani? We ever talked about that in the show? How Giuliani hated ferrets, and so he made them illegal because he's like. And then he got in arguments with people on his radio show. This guy called in, and was like, "You're why do you hate the ferret lovers? You ever heard this? You go like <laughs> like do, yeah, do a search for the the radio episode where Giuliani literally berates a a constituent, by the way, a New York City resident." Who says, you know, why do you, what do you have against ferrets? Because Giuliani, towards the end of his career here, like really kind of went off of his nut in terms of like arresting homeless people, doing all sorts. I mean, I was for a lot of the quality of life stuff here, but like, then he's like, you know what, one of the big problems in New York is people keeping ferrets. Ferrets. They should be illegal. And so he made it, he like made him push through like ferrets are illegal. And he's like, sir, you raise weasels. They're weasels. And he starts screaming at this guy about how his ferrets are weasels. But like, why does Giuliani care whether some other dude has a, a weasel or a ferret? I don't know. It's weird. So anyway, cheese weasels, dairy weasels. Uh, so that was my answer on that. Now on the beer ice cream, because Jack, I didn't talk about the beer ice cream, right? Sorry, no. Yeah, so somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago asked about making beer ice cream, and do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I like beer and dairy things. Here's the dealy deal. Beer doesn't have a lot of uh, alcohol in it anyway, so you're probably going to be okay on the alcohol level, but beer has a lot of water in it. So if you want to get rid of some of the alcohol and you want to get rid uh, – because you know, alcohol will soften your, your recipe you know, versus what it normally was. So if you want it a little softer, then leave the alcohol in if you don't. But – what you need to do is get rid of some of that water. So what you want to, I would boil, uh, I would boil the beer off a little bit. I would also make sure that you choose a fairly non-hoppy beer. And this is the same thing like when we do, um, when I do cocktails like the with beer. Most often I'm choosing very low hop beers, uh, so that they don't interfere too much with uh, the flavor. So I would choose like a low hop, uh, low hop like beer like don't go get like dogfish heads like you know 120 minute ipa to do this stuff uh you know we do like uh like abbeys and and saisons and stuff like this like look like low mellow stuff and boil off some of the water and then add enough milk powder to it back to milk powder add enough milk powder to it or boil some milk and add it to it such that your level of milk stays the same in your recipe. So typically I would add like liter cream or 500 mils cream, 500 mils milk, uh, 170 grams of sugar, and uh, 10 egg yolks and uh, salt, right, plus flavoring. So, you know, if you wanted to take that entire half liter and have it be beer, that's a lot of beer. But, you know, I would I would uh, boil some of the water out of the beer, uh, take it down, and then milk powder it up to the same level as it would be if you used a half a liter of milk, stir it into your cream, pasteurize, and go. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, what's, the, what's the presence now? Uh, this is from Dorothy from healthglen.com. Oh, yeah. I remember she wrote a question in a while back. It's been a while, though. Nice. She's a farmer from Minnesota, and she gave you some syrups. Oh, nice. What do we got here? We got some raspberry tarragon shrub. And what else? Uh, smoked cherry shrub stars. You'll have to drink this one. Unless it's cooked. Is it cooked? I'm sure it's, it's cooked. cooked. Okay, I'll try it. I'll try it, and if I fall She's down, I'm going dead. to Booker and Dax tonight. Oh, tonight? All right. Well, we'll she uh, says this isn't poison, so you can. Well, not, well, not poison for normal people, but as you know, I'm no, allergic to cherries. Yeah. But but if it's cooked, it should be load. all right. Then the we got some 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 lime, some ginger lime cordial, and what's the jelly? It's a 
lime and green tea marmalade. Marmalade. Do you, what do you think about people who say marmalade? <laughs> you like that or no? no? You ever watch Cheech and Chong movies? No. No? Mm-mm. Jack, you ever watch Cheech and Chong movies? Yeah, but I don't remember. Eggs, <laughs> eggs and bacon marmalade. You ever see the one where they... they, they well, whatever. <laughs> no. You would think that people would still watch it. You know, Cheech, very smart guy. You know, Chong sent to jail for no apparent reason because someone used his name to sell drug paraphernalia. He, he had to go to jail for it. Ridiculous. What's wrong with us in this country? Okay. Uh, some more questions. Um... I know you guys like to focus on what makes food delicious, but my question is more at the opposite end of the spectrum. It's this. Why are the pizza crusts from all the major pizza delivery chains so relentlessly disgusting? I know that sounds harsh, but if you know how to make pizza dough and have an even basic oven, uh, it's actually kind of hard to make uh, pizza disgusting. And yet, in my opinion, the big chains manage to make a pizza that's mostly pretty inedible, certainly to anyone that knows what pizza should taste like. Do the big chains face some special challenges in making or cooking pizza that are not obvious? Thanks for your uh, advice on this. Simon from Cambridge. Well, um, I worked at Domino's uh, when I was in college, and everyone knows that Domino's pizza is, as you say, relentlessly disgusting. Except for, you know, and like, like no offense to the Papa John's Corporation. You love Papa John's. No, I detest Papa John's. My kids love it. My, like, my kids think that, well, Dax doesn't, but Booker thinks that Papa John's is like the highest quality pizza in the world. In fact, he, can, he likes it better than any other pizza that you can get. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it's to make me angry, to make me, like, very, very angry. But I can tell you why Domino's pizza was bad. Domino's pizza was bad. First of all, the sauce was bad because it contained a, a lot of sugar. It was low-quality stuff. And, uh, and the ingredients were crappy and had been sliced up in a factory, like, 18 years before they were put on the pizza. The, beside that, what the, cr- the crust, the way the crust was made in this, and I'm sure it's the same in all these chain situations, is... The dough is not made in-house. It's made somewhere else uh, and then retarded and then um, put on pallets and left to proof. And so even had they used a good dough, um, they, you know, like trying to get it when it was at the optimum level of proof, like you you just never, you never would. And then I'm pretty sure that they weren't using very good uh, flour. Right. And and also, I just think they're cheap. I just think they're cheap. They don't want to, like, go through the time. I mean, you would think that they could go through the time to do, like, an actual long leavening process. Like, you know, when, you're, when I make pizza dough, it's like a 24-hour kind of a, of a thing, right? You know, 20, at least 24 hours before start, and I let it go a long time to make it. And then a lot of the people I know who make good pizza, this is the way they do the crust. But uh, – and you would think that Domino's knows 24 hours in advance, like how long it's going to take for them to – you know, how many pizzas they're going to make tomorrow, roughly. And so that they could they could do a long-rise dough if they wanted to. I don't know. But the other thing is, is their ovens really do suck. Uh, Domino's, uh, con- Domino's uses a conveyor oven, and their conveyor ovens don't run at an extremely um, – they don't run at a temperature conducive to making good pizza – and uh, the way that the heat delivery in them is, is provided is not conducive to making a good pizza. And so, consequently, they do not make a good pizza. And I think the average thing in most chains uh, is, is that they like a, kind of a breadier style, and I think that's also difficult to do. I actually misread your question this morning. I thought you said, why is frozen pizza so crappy? So I was going to get into that, but maybe if someone else cares about frozen pizza being crappy, we can get into that because i got to get some more questions before we get kicked off of the air. Am I right, Stas? Yep. By the way, did uh, we hear anything from... Uh, I didn't see anything. Okay, so... Um, here we go. We got a question, or not a question so much as a as a statement based on last week. I asked for vegetarian uses for the um, murder circulator. So Eddie Shepard, you know, who wrote the vegetarian cookbook and his uh, his uh, a vegetarian cookbook. Uh, it's a www.veggiechef.co.uk is uh, his website. So he wrote in 
Um, bum, 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 bum. Uh, Eddie Shepard writing from the UK. Enjoy the show. Uh, and heard uh, Martin from Sweden's question at the end of last week's episode regarding sous vide, low temperature vegetarian cooking. Um, I know you prompted the excellent Michael Natkin to write in, which will be great. I'm a big fan of his blog and Chef Steps, of course. As another vegetarian chef myself working a lot with sous vide, I thought I might be able to add some helpful suggestions as well. Firstly, uh, the application of poached eggs and ice cream, etc. are, of course, well-documented, fantastic vegetarian uses of sous vide. And for making lemon-lime curd or any other flavor curd you fancy. It's also very handy. Fancy sounds like a very English word, right? Fancy, like cat fancy, even though that's not English. Do you like that magazine, Cat Fancy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew you would. Uh, and Dave uh, already went through a lot of the benefits of cooking a range of fruits and vegetables sous vide for uh, flavor, precision, texture, as well as the benefits of making dashi in the water of ass. What do you think about vegetables instead of vegetables? The, why would you say Vegetables. That? <laughs> I don't know. Ellis like the word vegetable. What do you about you, Jack? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Uh, then I also use sous vide for a number of other applications covered below. Low temp halloumi. We talked about halloumi on the show before, right? Yes. Halloumi, the cheese from Cyprus that can be grilled. Halloumi good cheese. They actually, literally, that was their advertisement. They're like, it's halloumi good cheese. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's what you got? That's what you got? So halloumi, halloumi cheese, similar to queso parfriere, similar to a bunch of things. It's a, it's a, it's a cheese that's made... Uh, without acidifying the curd. So it's a directly rennet uh, coagulated and apparently having the relatively neutral pH of a non-acid, uh, non-acidified cheese uh, prevents uh, it from melting uh, substantially. I know it does because I've used it. And then also they cook, they, they make like a ricotta style thing out of the way when they're done by acidifying it. And then they cook the uh, the cheese curds, pressed cheese curds in the whey, which solidifies them even more. And then you get your halloumi cheese or your frying cheese, which you can slice and then you can grill, and it doesn't melt, but then, and it gets, it's squeaky, but then when it cools off, it's nasty squeaky. Anyways, uh, I like halloumi, I like all, I like queso parfriere, I like all that stuff. Anyway, so, uh, Eddie Shepard writes in and says, halloumi cooked at 64 Celsius for, for 1.5 hours with butter, fresh mint, and lemon zest is delicious and benefits from infused flavor as well as having a lovely soft texture I haven't been able to achieve by any other cooking method. It can also be pre-seared to get the lovely browned flavors. Um, and he also wrote uh, for transglutaminase use for uh, the vegetables. I use sous vide for some vegetarian applications of transglutaminase, including a pressed mushroom technique. Uh, which uh, Michael and Chef Step took inspiration from as well for their own technique for these like mushroom burgers and or like kind of mushroom blocks instead of meat. And so I'll, I'll just tell you what he what they do. They uh, he Eddie slices and dehydrates uh, the vegetable which the mushrooms which is porous and then uh, makes a slurry of soy protein isolate uh, and um, flavor and then mixes in transglutaminase and presses it flat in a block and then, and then cooks it off later, lets it sit for four hours and cooks it off later. Now, the interesting thing is, is that he uses an extraordinarily high percentage of transglutaminase in this, 5%. So it's just a typical, typical meat-style thing. It's like 1%, uh, and this is like 5 So it must need a lot to bond it together to, uh, to you know, his satisfaction. Chef Steps uses, uh, instead of soy protein, uses sodium caseinate and then uh, uses three three and a quarter percent transglutaminase or thereabouts in their prep. They also use ground mushrooms instead of mushroom slices and make more of a burger. Uh, but those look good. They look good. Um, and Eddie also says he uses uh, sous vide making his uh, halloumi uh, at home because uh, that's how – you're not supposed to boil the way that you put it in. You're supposed to keep it like – he keeps it at 90 C, which is about right. I think it's 195 Fahrenheit is how much they cook it. So he says it takes a lot less diligence than the normal thing. It doesn't get scorching. Uh, he also uses it for uh, putting white chocolate in a, uh, in a vacuum bag and cooking it at uh, 90 C for like uh, – 
24 hours and it gets like a dulce de leche brown. You know, you've seen those things like the like the white chocolate that I actually make taste good by cooking it for no. a long time. Yeah. No, no, I haven't seen it. And plus, I don't want to talk about it. Um, anyway. Um, oh, and also he says that uh, he ordered a TS-8000, uh, Burns Mag TS-8000, which is the one we use on the Sears all in the UK through the eBay, costing $60 total, which is more or less what it would cost to get a Rothenburg. But the question is, and I'd love to hear back from you, Eddie, is do the propane tanks in the UK fit? Or do you have to make a special adapter? Uh, anyway, I hope that's some, some help. But if you do the across to the UK when your book launches, try to get up north as well. There's lots of great food and cocktails happening in the Manchester. And if you've not visited before, it's a great city. I have not. Have you, Stas? No. Uh, okay. And so uh, they're gonna kick. They're gonna kick us off. So I have like what? Well, no, I have like I have like f- four minutes. Like right? Four minutes. I have like four minutes. And I just want to give a shout out to Co Miles for supporting the network. Oh, I love Co Miles. Yeah, he's the man. Co Miles is a good man. Thank you for supporting Coma. He supported us with the uh, Marnas Cuisine book, which I really enjoy. He's yeah, a great guy. And, and some interesting stories, which I will not share. But, uh, well, he, he shared with me when he took the sous vide class. I think it was sous vide. Uh, some, like, some funky stories. Anyways. Um, okay. So I'm r- ripping through. Uh, this is Sam from Guysville. Where's Guysville? Mm. Anyway. Uh, for a chamber vacuum sealer, does getting water or oil on the inside of a vacuum bag where the sealing element presses affect its sealing ability? Thanks, Sam from Guysville. Yes and no. A small amount of liquid is not going to hurt too much because the temperature is such that it'll boil it off and then seal fine. However, large amounts of liquid can cause problems. Also, uh, if your liquid has any crap in it, like spices or whatnot, this can inhibit the seal because it's physically a particle and it prevents the bags from touching together. So I've had many things go wrong. Where am I from? Wrong. I've had many things go wrong when you have stuff like pepper or stuff get in spices. Uh, I've also had a problem with lots and lots of uh, liquid there because I, I don't know why. I guess as it's boiling out, it creates little channels and stuff. But a small amount of liquid's not going to be too much of a problem, so don't worry about it. Um, and then finally, although I think I, I know I missed one. I missed one. I'm, uh, I'll tell you who I missed. I'll tell you who I missed because I'll get you next week. Uh, and we'll get to the Twitter questions next week. Next week, we're starting a section. What's it called, uh, Jack? What, the section of things you haven't answered? No, the se- well, we have that, but we're going to have Nastasha. And I'm going to be on time next week. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, next week because I'm, I'm not around the week after that. No, it was Nastasha reading the tweets. What did you say it was going to Oh, yeah, we gotta re- I got to come up with a name for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got we to gotta do. Uh, I'm not going to be able to answer uh, Brandon Johnson's questions on carbonation, uh, but I'll get that next time. And we have another question on, on – on, um, well, I'll do the bag and box because I can do that in two minutes. So there's also a carbonation que- uh, question. Why it burns from Bushwick, Brooklyn, writes in about bag and box syrup. Hey, Dave, uh, Jack, and Nastasia, I was wondering if you've had exper- uh, experimented with making your own bag and box soda concentrates for use in a commercial beverage system. I'm really interested in experimenting with a frozen carbonated beverage machine for cocktails. And since these machines are under pressure, i.e. they don't have a hopper you can pour a mix into, I think the only way to get my ingredients inside would be through the concentrate line. I've never used a bag and box system before. Do the syrup pumps just pull the liquid out, or is there some sort of magic going on with the bags? I could theoretically just cut off the BIB container and stick it into a container of my drink ingredients. What sort of ingredient ratios would be looking for to do a carb? alcoholic slushy concentrate okay it's a good question yeah bag and box they just have a uh, usually a pump the pumps that are manufactured typically by SureFlow here they run off of carbon dioxide and they pull the uh, liquid from the bag you need to make sure you get rid of the air in the bag because that can mess with the bricks and then they push it through an orifice that's set for a certain pressure and that's how they meter out the uh, syrup into a typical wunderbar uh, bar gun um, and then you adjust with a little screw exactly what the bricks is so I'm assuming that there's a similar sort of mechanism uh, going on in one of these machines although I've never used it now here's the here's the story here's what you need to look at when you're looking to make a carb uh, when you're looking to make an alcoholic slushy 
right? The first thing you need to shoot for is the right alcohol level. The right alcohol level is between about 14 and 14.4% alcohol by volume. Don't go any higher than that or you're not going to get it very slushy. And if you go too much lower than that, it's going to get pretty hard in the machine, right? You're going to look for roughly eight bricks, so around 8% sugar. So do your calculations uh, based on that. Now, to go on the other way, you're going to have to count cal- eight bricks means 8% sugar by weight. So in a, in a, you know, if you weigh uh, a liter uh, or weigh a kilogram of uh, product, then you know, roughly eight, uh, 80 grams of it should be sugar. Anyway, um, here's what – I'll give you here, – here's a, a – Typical. Typical soda like is a roughly a five to one ratio. So five parts water, one part syrup, which is a total of six parts. Okay? So six parts, let's say we're gonna do six ounces out of thirty mil ounce, because I use thirty mil metric ounces, right? That's hundred and eighty milliliters. I'm just doing this calculation for you. You're gonna have to go back and do your own. So one ounce of that syrup, right, is about thirty milliliters. And at a, if you were gonna use a simple syrup like a bar syrup, which is about fifty bricks, that's one point two three grams per milliliter, which is the density of a fifty bricks uh, syrup. One ounce of that's going to weigh 36.9 grams. Uh, and then, so remember, it's 50 bricks. So half of that weight, half of that 36.9 grams is going to be sugar. That's 18.45 grams. So soda made with a 50, with a 50 brick syrup, which is one-to-one simple syrup, will have a bricks of, uh, and a parts, five parts soda to one part, uh, one part syrup, will have a bricks of 10.25 or slightly less sweet than the Coca-Cola. And use those rough things to make your own bricks calculations. And we'll get back next week with cooking issues. <laughs> listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>